From Ruleaholic, corporate bitch in charge, to rebel mama, rule breaker. My guest today is Laura Rafferty, New York author and mama of two-year-old Jack. Welcome to Tits Up. When things go tits up, they're broken. Tits up can also mean brave up and get on with it. This is what we do as mothers. When things are broken, we pull up our big girl pants and we wade through the muck. My thoughts of having a baby were more like uh, buying an accessory. <laughs> um, it was not until I became a mom that all of a sudden I realized I had that other organ in the middle of my chest because um, I was so focused <laughs> to using the one up at the top. And one each side of that organ. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. And then those became important, too. <laughs> Get to the end of the three paragraphs and be like, I want more. Tell me more. What, what else happened? What, what was it like for you to conceive? What was it like for your pregnancy? And there was no like full picture of a real mom story. And new moms crave that so much. Extended breastfeeding and bed sharing are two total 180s that I did that there's such a connection actually between the extended nursing and the bed sharing. Your instincts are saying, you know, hold this baby and the whole world, the noise around you is saying, separate. This episode of Tits Up is proudly sponsored by Lactamo, your new BFF for breastfeeding. Our Tits Up guest today is Laura Rafferty. Laura is the author of a brand new book about to be released, Rebel Mama. I've had the pleasure of writing Laura's foreword. It's a great read and a reflection of so many new mums I've worked with who love structure, rules, spreadsheets and protocol and then they have a baby. Welcome Laura. Thank you Pinky, I'm thrilled to be here. Tell us what it was like before you had a baby. What was your life like before you had a baby? My life was a breeze and I didn't know it at the time. <laughs> life was so easy. No, I say that with a little bit of sarcasm, but but honestly, but before I had a baby, my thoughts of having a baby were more like uh, buying an accessory. <laughs> and so I thought that baby would sort of just fit in, not necessarily like a new purse or a new pair of shoes per se, but just sort of fold into the mold of my routines or my schedules, um, not really realizing how they may come with their own agenda for sure. <laughs> they certainly do, don't they? <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> so you were in corporate America. Yes. IP. Yes. Very For head stuff, not heart stuff kind of. Total head stuff, total yeah. logic brain, total spreadsheet mode. And I, and honestly, not only just professionally, but but personally, I, I operated like that a lot as well. Um, it was not until I became a mom that all of a sudden I realized I had that other organ in the middle of my chest because um, I was so focused <laughs> to using the one up at the top. And one each side of that organ. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. And then those became important, too. <laughs> funny so all of your life you've been an organizer pretty much and a rule and a rule obeyer 
Yes, I have. Um, from a very early age, my my parents will make fun of me, but they'll talk about the Christmas holidays and how I would sort of say where the decorations were going and where where we were going to hang the Christmas tree and how we were going to wrap the presents. And they were just sort of laughing, like, where did this little tyrant come from? But I've, I've always found calm in getting things organized and coordinated. So it's it's not just because of my corporate background or my year my years in corporate America. I think I've sort of been ingrained like this from the get go. It's all of you. Were your family really organized or was this your sort of way of going through the chaos I mean often worry, wonder about this was one of my daughters who's super organized and you know I used to call her a little boss of the family kind of thing and I just wonder if it was you know she's our fourth child and I was just sort of thinking is this a bit of rebellion against me and her way of feeling safe because I was not organized <laughs> so that's that's a funny question in in fact I would say my family was pretty organized but I give my mom the credit for that so do I say each individual was organized no but she ran, she ran a pretty organized household and I I think probably at a really early age before I even had conscious memory I thrived in her routine and the organization and the structure that she created uh, my father, no, like all, you know, fly by the seat of his pants. Um, you know, I guess that's why they say opposites attract. But I think my mom really kept the organization and I I clearly picked up on the trait. <laughs> that's right. You were imprinted. And yes. then you had a baby. Was it a particular tits up moment that inspired you to write Rebel Mama? Or was it many tits up moments on this journey from corporate bitch in charge to, you know, mama letting go of control? So I'm pretty sure, Pinky, I've been tits up since I conceived and I haven't gotten up since then. So can can I say there's been one moment? No, I think motherhood is one tits up journey. Um, but but what I can say is I, I can pinpoint the moment when I decided I'm going to write this book. Um, and actually, my son, so my son is Jack. He was a little over a year old and we had been on a, a summer holiday and during COVID, but we went to the shore and I had finished reading a book. Jack was napping. My husband and I were sitting in the sun. I closed the book and I turned to him and I said, I'm going to write a book. And he just smiled at me and I could tell he was thinking, oh boy, here we go again. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I have always wanted to write a book. I can't tell you necessarily what I wanted to write it about, but from a, from an early age, I've been an avid reader and I love to write. And I closed that book and I thought, I want to do something more meaningful with my life. And I mean that with full respect to my career. I don't find that that was meaningless, but I really wanted to, to follow a passion and follow a dream. And there was finally something that I was heated about. <laughs> passion isn't even a strong enough word. There was something that I felt so strongly about. And when I said that to him at the time, I didn't necessarily know how the book was going to be written, what I was going to write about it. I just knew I was going to write a book. And then it just sort of unraveled from there. In fact, I actually wrote my birth story probably a month or so after Jack was born. And I did that really just because I wanted to remember more of like a journaling exercise than actually me starting a manuscript of a book. Um, but I had dusted that off. I pulled that back up and I just sort of read through it and thought, okay, well, I'm not just going to write an entire book about my birth story because I don't know that that's necessarily going to be of interest to a lot of people besides like me, my sister and my mother. So let me think through what would what would make sense and so what i what i did was i just reflect a little a little bit on the last year and change and thought 
where were those, those big moments for me? And, and what were the things that were huge learnings that, you know, to your point, put me tips up, tits up. And all of a sudden I started getting all these topics. And as I put them down on paper, I started to giggle a little bit and think, these are all the rules I thought I was going to follow. And I ended up breaking and I ended up doing things completely different than I thought I would. And that's how Rebel Mama was, was born. And the other thing I'll say is when I was pregnant and even when I first had the baby, although I'm sure all new moms can attest once you have the baby reading becomes less of a luxury. But when I was pregnant, I did a lot of reading. And one of the things I, I remember always thriving on is any of the books um, would have little testimonials or mom stories. Ina Mae Gaskin is famous for that in some of, of her books. And there'd be these little snippets about either the mom's birth story or the mom's journey with breastfeeding. And I get to the end of the three paragraphs and be like, I want more. Tell me more. What, what else happened? What, what was it like for you to conceive? What was it like for your pregnancy? And there was no like full picture of a real mom story. And new moms crave that so much because it's so unknown and they want to know what's out there. And I thought, I'll turn this into a memoir. I'll, I'll do a memoir spin on this so that I can really basically put it all out there, but also give that full picture so people understand why I thought one thing and then ended up maybe doing a 180 in a lot of areas. That was, yeah. And, and I, like I said, I had the pleasure of writing Laura's foreword and I was giggling through the book. And, <laughs> but also it was, you know, like heart stuff as well. And just, so entertaining the way you write it's so good and you know writing the birth story I think it's really a really cathartic thing to do it's really important because you may you know you remember you definitely remember your births but it's really good to have that fresh detail and also to process that experience so you know and like you say the little snippets of mum stories and and I'm hearing you as I because my book's you know parenting my heart sleeping like a baby I always put little bits <laughs> parent stories through them just so it shows that the mums are the experts you know that that life is different and there's a whole spectrum of what's okay and I love that about your book you know that you're not saying do it my way this is my story really is more the thing so what were your biggest light bulb moments around you know I mean obviously feeding and sleeping with some of them when you think of strict routines but what were some of the things you did turn that full 180 on so uh, each chapter is kind of one of those, to your point, pinky light bulb moments. Um, but I, I would say if I had to pick a couple of them, the duration of breastfeeding was probably one of the biggest ones for me, as well as baby sleep. So I'll, I'll, I'll kind of hit on both of those. I'll start with breastfeeding. So thankfully, I had a very um, smooth, as smooth as possible anyway, start of breastfeeding. And, and Jack and I had a good good start and we were breastfeeding champs within a few weeks. So that wasn't really where I would say I, I struggled or, or did a 180. But before I was pregnant, and then even when he was first born, I would walk around saying, okay, I'm definitely breastfeeding for six months. I don't care if my nipples are falling off. I am doing that because I know that's good for my baby. That was like my, I had to hit six months. And I said, and, and nine months would be really ideal. And honestly, there was nothing behind the nine months, except I knew my mother breastfed me for nine months. I mean, this is, this is how people think though. And then I said, but like, I would be a rock star if I made it 12 months. 
And really what was behind that was probably me reading somewhere that the American Academy of Pediatrics said breastfeeding up to a year. So that was like my story. I was sticking to it. Uh, I knew I'd have to go back to work after four months of maternity leave. So pumping would start to come into the picture. And I, I knew that might get frustrating. But then as I, I carried on and we got closer and closer to 12 months, I started to think like, wait, why am I stopping at 12 months? And, and what was behind that? And I, I, I actually, even at, at 12 months, I hadn't even, the book still wasn't an idea in my mind. I started doing a little bit more reading. So I was like, I better remind myself why I think it's now important to wean him. Because let me tell you, I saw no signs of him being like, okay, mom, I'm all done. <laughs> so I just was like, you know what? I'm just going to let it go. And then when I dug into it, Pinky, I realized it, th there is no reason to stop at 12 months. It's an arbitrary deadline that has been thrown out there that people pick up on and then really think they have to do something about it. I mean, I can tell you anecdotal stories. My, even, even my own gynecologist said to me, you know, when you're ready, just take Sudafed because it'll dry you up really quick. And then you don't have to worry about engorgement or anything else. And I had a couple of girlfriends who said the same thing to me, just see if you can stay away from the baby for a day or so. And it, you know, so your supply drops. And like, when I got to that 12 month mark, I was like, this makes no sense. So I, I did, I just kept going. And that for me was one of the biggest light bulb moments because I really never necessarily thought I'd get there. But then when I did, I realized I have no interest in stopping and, and Jack had no interest in stopping either. And I, I really felt like if one of us was showing signs or if it was uncomfortable for me, or if it was really starting to get in the way of our relationship, then maybe I would make an adjustment, but it wasn't. And once I dug into the research and realized actually how good it is for them in some ways that I felt even more comfortable with my decision in, in breastfeeding as they call it extended breastfeeding, although I do hate that term. And then I think the other big light bulb moment for me, another humbling one was <laughs> the bed sharing. So I had a bassinet and I had a crib both of which did nothing but collect dust until I finally had my husband break them down and put them into the basement. But I never in a million years thought I would sleep with my baby. I, I had like heard of people who had and thought it was strange and weird. And how do you not roll over and crush them? And how do you and your partner have sex? Like none of it really felt like that can't possibly work. But Jack was a really tough sleeper and had zero interest in being alone pretty much ever, even for a lot of naps. And so finally, after I got myself comfortable, uh, I, I have to give a lot of credit to the LHA league and their safe seven um, and the sweet sleep book. That was, that was a big one that kind of helps me gain the confidence to follow my gut. I brought him into bed and he's still in, he's actually currently in my bed right now. He's still in our bed. And I think it was one of the best decisions for all of us as a family because I sleep more. He sleeps better. I sleep more. There's no puttering down the hallway, but extended breastfeeding and bed sharing are two total 180s that I did. And you, you know, you'll, you read about them a lot in the book. I, it, they're both very humbling for me because I had such strong opinions and rules that I was going to follow beforehand. But then when you get in the situation, it just doesn't feel right and doesn't make sense.
Mm, what are you going to do? Yeah, no, you just brought back a whole memory for me about my first child because when I had my first child in the 70s, it's probably older than you are. Um, <laughs> it was an era of very low breastfeeding rates. And I mm-hmm. had this baby in Melbourne and I knew two other women who were breastfeeding and by three months they stopped. One was a paediatric nurse, one was a um, dentist's wife and they stopped at three months because that was a good start. And I didn't see any sense in stopping them because we'd had a rough beginning. And um, then we went back to New Zealand. I'm actually from New Zealand. We moved over to New Zealand, my husband's an Aussie. And my mother warned me, you know, I had a nine month old by then. He was getting close to a year and my younger brother had taught him to say titty, which was <laughs> terribly embarrassing to my conservative mother. <laughs> so I would grab at my thing, you know, a nine and 10 month old grabbing at my shirt and saying titty, titty. And of course, everybody knew what this kid was doing. And you know, that's a bit better on the breastfeeding, I've got to say, than, you know, city Melbourne at the time. And mm-hmm. um, my mother warned me that I must wean this child or my husband would leave me. Because, you know, back in the day, you had to give your husband first dibs of everything. And she didn't understand that he could have a bit, in between, you know, whatever it all, it all somehow works, doesn't it? And anyway, I went along to an election meeting to find out how to wean my child. By this time, he, we actually bought a house and settled in another town. And he was a walking, talking toddler of about 14 or 15 months. And um, there were children there. It was evening and there were babies running around and there were two-year-olds and things and that in their pyjamas and they were still breastfeeding. And that relief I found, because like you, it just didn't make any mm-hmm. sense between them because he was nowhere near stopping. And just right. to see that it was a thing and it was okay and I could still breastfeed. And there wasn't the evidence that there is now, like there was no internet, there were barely any books, there was a lecture league library, but the, you know, even the woman out of breastfeeding was a little tiny thin blue book that didn't talk about nursing toddlers um Mm -hmm. yeah so it was quite lovely and of course now we know that there is no use by date on breast milk or breastfeeding it's still got all of the immune factors whatever the age the child is and you know it's totally a relationship thing isn't it and it's such a good mothering tool isn't it for that one to two year old whether you know and the world health organization does now recommend yes years or beyond Up and i love two. that you have that you've included that research in your book which is so good because you know i didn't intentionally combine that when, when i chose those for my two light bulb moments when you just asked that question but i think it's worth noting that there's such a connection actually between the extended nursing and the bed sharing and you had just said it's a, a, a great toddler tool and i think bedtime would be an an absolute nightmare for me if I didn't nurse. I mean, it is such a relaxed, I have a very high energy, high strung toddler and that nursing to bed or nursing before bed is such a soother and a relaxer for both of us actually. But you don't necessarily think about that when you're thinking about nursing a toddler, you just think, oh, that's weird. Like to your point, you ran around, you saw two-year-olds running around and, and they were still nursing. But it's so beneficial for them for that as well, because, you know, self-soothing is a myth. And I know that that's still something that we've got to get better at We have to keep fighting that one. Yes, yes we do. But the older it is they get, a, the more they reach out for that co-soothing. Yes, yes they do. And there's, there's an element to help them regulate in, in doing so. And, you know, it's, it's funny you say the thing about the 70s. So, so my, my mom, as I mentioned, breastfed me and her mother-in-law 
said to her, um, that's barbaric. Why aren't you just giving her a bottle or formula? That's, that's barbaric to breastfeed. And I don't think my mother-in-law had mal or my, sorry, my mom's mother-in-law had malintentions. It's just, that's what she was told. She was told Absolutely. you feed a baby formula. And, yeah. and it's scary to me that somehow we got there. I will tell you, I think parenting is probably the worst game of telephone that's ever been played. I think the message started out with hold your baby, feed your baby, sleep with your baby. And the game ended. And somewhere the telephone now says, put your baby down, drowsy, but awake, only feed your baby every two to three hours and never bring your baby into bed. And it's like, how did, how did we get here? But I, 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 oh, I've said that a couple of times now. I think parenting is a one of the worst games of telephone we've ever played as a as a world. Yes, yes, and like you say, you know, the the soothing your baby down, you know, your toddler, when you've got an active toddler, you know, I suppose. I mean, there are women who probably aren't breastfeeding toddlers, and they would cuddle their baby, you know, cuddle their toddler. But mm -hmm. we've got this pressure to teach this kid to self soothe, and we should just kiss them good night and walk out of the room, and yep. they lie down in their cot and go to sleep, which is the biggest myth of all. Because, you know, breastfeeding or not, they don't do that. And bless the women whose child, I was just going to say, bless the women who ch whose child do. Because I know there are some children who mm. blow a kiss. Good night, mommy. But if that's not the case, you, you, you know, you don't have to force yourself into some sort of weaning before you're ready just because the clock says it's been 12 months since you had that baby or two years since you've had that baby or whatever the case may be yeah, your baby doesn't know it's his birthday <laughs> nope nope contrary to the balloons and the wrapping paper they have no idea yeah. yep they love the balloons and the wrapping paper but they really don't know why you know this is my time now tits off it's you know true. <laughs> it's true yes oh i did and and even you know like cuddling your baby to sleep and staying with your toddler till they fall asleep it is such a calming, relaxing time for all of you. You know, you have that dose of oxytocin because you're cuddling your child. They get those calming hormones and mm -hmm. life just, I don't know, it's just so much easier than dragging a child back to the bedroom as it comes out to the kitchen 29 times to reconnect with you. I can't see <laughs> the sense of it. You know, parents lie down with their children and just, relax with them and help them go to sleep. I mean, sometimes you wake up and the kid's already, you know, sound asleep yes. and you've, you've had an hour's nap because you've either laid down and booed them or you've laid down with them, whatever age, whatever you're doing, you know, and somehow you just get in that lovely relaxed state because you're cuddling this child. And it's such a beautiful thing. It is. Nice. And, you know, I have a, I have a small section of the book, Pinky, that you'll probably remember about the uh, harmonious situation that's created in your body because of some of the hormones. And I, I hit on oxytocin and prolactin in, in the book. But I think some of those simple scientific facts, while a little bit nerdy and geeky for some, helps you to understand like, oh, that's what's going on in my body because they are actually stress reducing hormones. And there's a reason that science and nature does this because motherhood is stressful. I don't think that's, I don't think I just said anything that anybody doesn't know but there is an actual way to kind of calm yourself down and try to get back to some sort of neutral and I think that's lost on on a lot of people um I I uh not to go too off course but the oxytocin for me is another one when so many women are given synthetic oxytocin or pitocin during birth I don't think they realize by saying yes sure you know put, put some uh, pitocin in my IV that 
they're then suppressing their natural oxytocin and things are getting all out of control then from there on out for their birth, for their breastfeeding journey. So I think it's just so helpful if we have a, a small understanding, we don't have to get super scientific. We don't have to be PhDs or MDs, but it's helpful to have some of these basics because then you start to put the pieces together. And, and that was, that was part of it for me with these, with these big moments or these big milestones where I made significant adjustments in my thinking that data and those facts really helped me understand, okay, so my instincts are actually not, I'm not crazy. Well, you might argue that I'm crazy, but <laughs> I'm, I am aligned on some level with maybe the way I'm supposed to be. And it's just, it's hard because society doesn't really share a lot of those small facts with us that would help us really be able to absorb better. No, they don't. And yet when you do read those facts, you are validated. You think, yes, so validated. It's not just me being a suki la la mother. Yes. Yes. You know, because we get all this stuff that we're making our baby dependent and Mm -hmm. he will, you know, it will be so much harder later on to get him out of our bed or whatever. And you go, well, actually, it's not that hard. When they're ready, they're ready and they do it. And it's right. stressful. Whereas if you're trying to do it with a younger baby, it could be very stressful for you too because your instincts are saying, you know, hold this baby. And the whole world, the noise around you is saying, separate. Yes. And, and yet... The other thing that I think is really important to understand is that when we have a baby, that our pituitary, by the time that baby's born, is double its normal size because it's churning out this whole mummy margarita of hormones that's making you want to connect with your baby. And then society, again, is saying, you know, put that baby over there in that cot on the far side of the room or in the bedroom or wherever, and we actually have this, you know, heart connection with our baby it's just come out of our body for goodness sake you know and and we're told we need to separate we need to train this baby we need to train him to sleep and life will be easier which of course is bs anyway because every time you train that baby there's every chance that he'll get a cough or a cold or a tooth and it'll all go pear-shaped so you'll have to do it all over again so mum's stressed baby's stressed and that is actually, well, I, I, I gave three reasons why sleep training wasn't for me. And that was one of them, Pinky. The idea that even if you do it, when you either hit a developmental milestone, a teething milestone, a vacation, a change in schedule, everything could be thrown off course and you'd be back to square one. And I thought, I don't, I couldn't do this multiple times. I know I can't even do it once, but the thought of having to do it multiple yeah. times, I, I, I couldn't. And, and so much of what fueled me to write Rebel Mama and share my story and share some of the data was because I think people feel crazy when they have those thoughts. And I wanted them to know they're not alone. Other people do feel this way and it's okay. You don't have to do what your friend did or your mom's suggesting or your neighbor's child did because none of those people have your baby. Only you and your baby really know the course that's going to work best for you. For sure. That's right. You've got this really strong chemical connection and they call it the chemistry of attachment anyway, you know, this really strong, yes. your baby. So that's why all that noise around you, I think is so confusing because you have this strong connection and then the noise is all around you. And of course you're going to get muddled up. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, and that's why I always say, you know, when you, when you do get muddled up, you can sort of filter it by saying, is it safe? Is it respectful? And does it feel right for me? And I think that's the most important one. Absolutely. Absolutely. I I say purely on instinct. 
to ditch these rules. I wonder if there's some imprinting from your own mother. And, and uh, it's, a, it's a great question. I, I think a lot of the, you know, my, my mom was a stay-at-home mom for at least the, the first, the early years of, of my life. So I was with her a lot and I'm the oldest. So it was just her and I for a bit while my, my dad was working. And there is definitely a possibility that some of that was imprinted because I do, I do feel like instinct over instruction. That's another one. I, I, uh, I'm a big fan of that phrase. I love that. Yes. Um, Because instruction assumes a one size fits all or assumes it even knows you and you have to work with your instinct, but it's tough because a lot of people are doubting their instinct because it doesn't align with what they've been programmed or told to do. So then they start to, to doubt if what they're feeling is actually valid. So that's another reason that I, I just want to be able to help and get the messaging out there. Mm. And I love that phrase. We just need to remember it, instinct over instruction. That's yes. so spot on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. Just launched here in Australia is an exciting new breastfeeding product called Lactamo. Lactamo is a small ball as soft as jelly with bumps on the surface and filled with gel. And it basically facilitates breast massage for breastfeeding mums. Breast massage can be hugely beneficial for breastfeeding boobs. It can help with all of the common problems. Oversupply, undersupply, blocked ducts, engorgement. 100% Australian made, Lactamo is heatable, coolable and reusable and is already making ripples, taking out awards left, right and centre, including Australia's best new business idea 2020 at 10X Sydney with St George. Hailed by Mum Central as your new BFF in breastfeeding, I think lactamose is going to be an essential item for every new mum. Check out the website at lactamo.com, that's L-A-C-T-A-M-O, where they have helpful videos and guides it's so simple, but so revolutionary. And I'm really excited about Lactamo. Now you were mothering and working. You continued working, didn't you? I did, yes. You did go back to work, yes. During lockdown, how was that? So I, yeah. So Jack was just about seven or eight months when lockdown started, and I, I think the phrase I use in the book is a total "have my cake and eat it too" moment, which I don't think many people describe COVID as. But the reason I say that is I was home with the baby, so I had I had been back in the office for only a handful of months, and Pinky, I was coming up with every excuse possible to work from home or go home early, even when I was in the office, because the separation was killing me. And so I actually was able to continue working while I was home with the baby, which, which made a huge difference, huge difference in him, huge difference uh, in, in me and my sanity. And then also, also just for caregivers as well. So I have an underlying theme in, in the book about how the pandemic allowed me to mother from within. And so I do that, I say that both literally 
and figuratively. So figuratively from that whole standpoint of following your gut and, and following instinct, but then literally because we were stuck home. I mean, we were not socializing. We were not going out to events. And so all of a sudden I had this quietening of all of the rules around me. And I basically got a free pass to ignore schedules and routines and judgment and, and really tune in more to how I was feeling. I mean, we talk about what a structured nut I was before this. I always woke up to an alarm. That alarm was always set between five and 5.30. I don't think I've set an alarm now in a year and a half. I just would wake up when Jack wakes up, sometimes a little bit earlier than him if he chooses to let me sleep in. But it really changed me as a person and also, of course, as a mother, but it, it really calmed me down. And then it gave me this beautiful opportunity. We, we weren't doing as much. So in the free time I had, I started writing. I started and reading and researching and putting this together. And I don't think if we had had the situation that we did, would I really be in this position sitting here talking to you because there was so much of a focus on me as a mother and Jack as a baby that I had that opportunity. And that's another reason I, I, I say that, I say that a lot in the book about how not everybody's going to have the opportunity to kind of be stuck at home, quarantined, free of judgment, free of, free of uh, sort of the busy bodies watching you. And so I got to build confidence and build up other moms to be able to feel comfortable doing this when the world returns to whatever version of normal we decide to get into because Lord only knows what the future holds. But it, you know, it, it, it wasn't all roses. I, I, I'm painting a great picture from a pandemic perspective for the opportunities it provided me. But I think the other thing I, I have to acknowledge is it was hard to be separated. Um, there's, there's a lot of cliches out there about how it takes a village to raise a baby. And I see, I see a lot of truth in that, but in, in lockdown, we were really very limited in who we could see. And so we were stuck with just the two of us doing both of our jobs and taking care of the baby. And that was definitely hard. And let's clarify this. You are in New York. Yes. That was <laughs> right in the epicenter of horrendous pandemic lockdown. Yes. You know, I am two and a half hours yeah. north of New York City. So yes, I was in the state that was always red, <laughs> the state yeah. that was always flashing red on there. So yeah, we we were in early lockdown. Uh, we had the tri-state area where we were always uh, following. So yes, I was not in the middle of the country or the mountains where the cases were really low. We, we were in the, we were just outside of the city and definitely hit close to home for sure. So it was horrendous. Yes, I'd forgotten to tell people you're in New York. And I just went, this woman is in New York, totally <laughs> isolated. And look, my, my daughter had her baby in Dubai, her first baby in Dubai in total lockdown. And, you know, I kept thinking of the little things, like if a friend dropped by, they could hold your baby while you had a shower. Mm -hmm. Just those little things or someone could drop off a meal, but you didn't have that. Okay, you didn't have the criticism or the judgy budget right. and all that sort of stuff but you actually didn't have support either but did you up till then did you have to face flack from family friends professional because of your choices I know in the book there was one where you were heading to the doctor for a checkup and you were schooling up your husband on what to say about how often your baby fed 
Yes. So we were, we were, like I said, seven or eight months into parenting before our lockdown hit. So we definitely, I definitely have some great phrase, flack uh, stories. And, and, you know, it even started before I had the baby pinky. So I have a whole section in the book about circumcision, which was again, something that I didn't, you know, didn't even occur to me until a girlfriend brought it up to me. And I started researching and, and looking into things. But I remember asking some close friends and my own immediate family, what are your thoughts on circumcision? Like, here's, here's what I'm seeing about why maybe I don't want to do that. And, and what do you think? And I'd love to tell you that nobody judged me, but even the people who were trying not to judge me, I could tell were judging me. And they were, I was the first on both sides of our families to have a baby. So all of these concepts and discussions were the first of this generation, if you will. And the friends who I did have who already had boys were sort of looking at me like, I'm not even sure why you're questioning this. This is just what we do. Um, so uh, I, I felt it already even before the baby was born when I was sort of soliciting feedback on circumcision. And then definitely when um, he was first, first born, the breastfeeding just out in the open was something that kind of made people look twice. And I thought, I remember, I actually remember a great moment. It was my mother-in-law's birthday. So Jack couldn't have been more than a month. Maybe he was just less than a month. And we were having dinner or lunch, I don't know, some meal on the back patio. And Jack was hungry. He was, he woke up and I could tell he was hungry. And I, I went to go breastfeed and my sister-in-law said, oh my God, you're not going to do that right here, are you? And I thought, like oh. hell I am. It's my house. <laughs> and, wow. But I, you know, I didn't even expect that necessarily. Um, and, and then it became a little bit more normal. And, and like we were talking earlier, then when he got older, I could tell the toddler nursing, um, especially as we got out of lockdown and we hadn't seen as many folks and then they'd come back around. I could tell that made some people uncomfortable, but I'm a firm believer. It's only not normal because nobody sees it. And if we start to just make it more normal, it maybe won't be so weird. Um, and then the other flack I faced from a lot of uh, a lot of my immediate family, not so much friends. I will say this is the one where friends are the most um, open about it is the bed sharing. And I actually have a lot of friends. I, I, I have a story about it in, in Rebel Mama. I remember telling one of my girlfriends almost like, whispering it to her like, yeah, he's in bed with us. And I remember she said to me, of course he is. Where else would he sleep? They, they don't sleep by themselves, but, but just so matter of fact. How lovely. Yes. And I thought, oh, I thought your baby slept in its, in its bedroom though. So it, I, I, that was one where I, some folks were definitely, uh, oh, well, what is he going to go? What's going to happen first? Is he going to go to kindergarten or sleep in his own room? And so there was a, there was a little bit of that, but it's of course impossible to not take offense and get defensive in the moment, but then you have to step back and just remember they don't know any different. So it's, you either help them understand or you bite your tongue. And so I've tried to take the route of helping them to understand when I can, but sometimes you're just too tired to explain it to them. You're like, whatever, go ahead, think what you want. But yeah. yes, definitely, yeah. definitely had some, uh, facing some flack for some of these have decisions. You, have you got it? You know, like you say, you either just smile sweetly and let it wash over you and they just think, oh, she's a bit of a twit, you know, or, yeah. oh, oh, she's really dumb, you know, and just let it go or you you pick your moment and when you can explain. And I 
found a great one yesterday, actually, that, you know, you can either just go, oh, I'll, you know, that's great. I'll take that on board. Or the other one is come up with something ridiculous. Did you hear about the rat poo and baby nappies? I don't remember what brand it was. You know, come up with some ridiculous fact and it'll send them up a loop going off Googling to yes. find out about the rat poo and baby nappies or something. You know, come up with something utterly ridiculous and you get them that's, off track. That's a good one. I'll have to remember that because because there are some times where you just want to fire back something snarky and just to just to shut them up and make this make the topic move on. Yeah. Oh, I read this blog the other day about, you know, and come up with something totally crazy about yes. children or babies and you know, just come up with something that you can pull out of your left ear and Yes. I remember someone saying to me, oh, he'll want to go to school. He'll still want to boob when he's going to school. And we actually lived across the road from a school. And I said, oh, only if I'm on tuck shop duty, you know. So... <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Someone else said, you know, he'll want to boob when he's 21. And I just said, he might, but it's not going to be mine. And I put my dumbest face on, you know, just as though you just really don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> you know, Pinky, it's funny. You. <laughs> it's funny you say that because I I had a paragraph in the book I ended up deleting it so it's not in the final book that that folks will read but I did in the, in the bed sharing one I said at some point in life he's going to be sleeping next to another woman who won't be quite as cool as his mom and then I think I had in parentheses <laughs> like sorry future daughter-in-law I ended up taking it out <laughs> I love it you should have left it there <laughs> I know but but you know that's I think that's the perspective that everybody has to kind of kind of fine. And, you know, one thing we haven't, we haven't hit on yet, but I, I think it's a fair, fair point to raise for listeners is you also want to take into consideration for those of us who are fortunate enough to be doing this parenting thing in a partnership, making sure your partner's on board too, because it could definitely be a, a tougher road with a lot of these topics we're talking about, circumcision, breastfeeding, um, bed sharing, if your partner feels differently than you do. And so I am very fortunate and, and grateful for whether he thinks I'm crazy or not is a different story, but he is super supportive and on board with a lot of these decisions, which makes it a lot easier when you, when you catch the flack from, from parents and family. But I know that's a real, I know that's a real situation sometimes where um, I, I, I have a friend, a loose acquaintance whose husband was really against bed sharing. So she felt cornered into sleep training because she didn't know how to get her daughter to, to sleep and she was exhausted. And the only way to do it was if she came into the bed with her, but he was adamant against it. So we, I think that's another struggle that new moms have, even when they want to follow their instincts, sometimes it's hard to get the support. And so that's just another, I, I do want to acknowledge that I, I feel very fortunate for the, um, the support I've been given. And sometimes that support can take time to grow on a partner. I know it did with yes. my own husband. You know, it was this was our marital bed. Children should be in a blah, blah, mm -hmm. blah. That's fine if you get up in the night. And I'm exactly. in bed. And as the baby woke up, I kicked him. And <laughs> he just went, you know, rolled over and stayed yeah. asleep. I thought, buggy you, mate, if you don't get up to the baby. <laughs> this yeah. is how I'm going to cope. And I was probably, you know, tougher than a lot of women. You know, there are, there are a lot of women who don't want to go that route of being firm. And, and I would also might be reading a book out, a lot, you know, reading a book and then pick some paragraphs and I'd be sitting up in bed reading, oh, my goodness, listen to this. This sounds like our kid, doesn't it? You know, something ridiculous just to, but, but 
then he became the biggest advocate of you yeah. know the breastfeeding and the bed sharing and all that. He just didn't. He loved it that he didn't have to get up in the night. Yes. So he yes. started to see some benefits. But I I do have you know I have worked with women whose partners you know don't want them to breastfeed past I don't know one woman it was three months because her husband had this ridiculous story that he was allergic to milk. What a dickhead. Like nothing to do with it. He obviously just wanted her breast for him and not the baby. He obviously had something much deeper going on. But yes, you know, it's and just really sad and acknowledging those women who have to work around this because you're in a vulnerable state. I mean, someone will say, look, just kick that man out. But yeah. he's still going to be the father of your child. You're still going to have to share parenting to some degree. And mm -hmm. You may not have the financial resources. You may be far too vulnerable. You, you know, it's just not that easy for a lot of women. So they find the middle ground that they can go with. And you're very lucky if you've got a partner that's on your side. But acknowledging that partners and us, you know, whether you've got a male partner, female partner, whatever you've got, we grow up in different family circumstances. Yes. We grow up with different experiences. And just as we have flat from other women, Men can have flat from their mates or their work yeah. um, people. Because I remember my husband came home. I can't even remember what it was about. But, you know, he came home with something from Madge the Tea Lady about what we should be doing with our baby at one stage. I can't even remember what it was. And I'm thinking Madge is probably, you know, 65 years old and had her child, you know, 50 years ago or 40 years ago or something. And she lived a different life. She had a different family. She didn't have our baby. Right. You know, they will be exposed to things. And, again, it's talking talking it through. It's really big about communication, isn't it? It is. And you you bring up a great point about different families. Um, just just recently, I we were getting back together with my husband's family, and I said, as we were getting ready or we were we might have even been in the car, I, I turned to him and I remember saying, hey, do, do they know that Jack still breastfeeds because you know at a toddler age he's just going to come right up to me and say nurse nurse and he said he just sort of rolled his eyes and said I don't know what they know Laura but don't worry about it just you know do what you ever have to do with awesome. Jack but that's you're you're right I do think it helps to help them understand some of the why behind it and I love that you're saying you were reading books to him I used to read things and then circle them and take a picture of them and send them to him and say, read this or see this <laughs> because I, it does, it helps them understand. Just like I want other moms to understand. It's important that you get your partner to understand as well, for sure. That's right. And I mean, now with social media, you can actually tag them and let them, yep. you know, have a look at that link if they will. Yeah, and I see mums all the time, you know, on my Facebook page and they're tagging their partners. And I just think, you know, this is, this is just another way that you can show them you're not the only crazy woman because it's probably just outside of their experience if their own family hasn't done something that you're doing. For sure. I think my husband's entire Instagram inbox is me sending him posts from a lot of the, <laughs> the people that I follow. And I don't even know if he reads half of them, but even if it's a snippet of them, he reads, it just helps. It really does to show, okay, it's not just your nutsy wife saying this there are a lot of other people out there who have the same experience or who can back up the same experience yes yeah so I think that's you know that sharing gently sharing gently influencing mm -hmm. and just thinking look that's not in his experience so let's um you know let's share our information and talk about it and which things work and there was another thing that I that I learned when 
our kids were very little, that when something was really important to me, and you didn't really care about it, you know, it was either or, I would just say, this is a 10 for me or a nine, you know, I'd score it out of 10. So this is a nine for me, please, will you listen, you know, and it might only be a two for him, but we would use that scale. And that meant, you know, well, let's listen to that other person's viewpoint. I mean, it wasn't just for me, it was for him too, that he could say, I feel really strongly about this. But, you know, if you've got a score, if it's between five right. and 10, this is important to him, let's, let's hear him out. And then we'll discuss you know, whether that's it. And look, it might be something as simple, uh, you know, I remember one family where the the father insisted on holding the child's hand when he crossed the road and the mother didn't. And, you know, I was talking to them about, look, okay, it's a 10 out of 10 for him. It's a safety thing. How about you just talk about how to be consistent around this? You know, I love that. Just this so is a 10 for me. Child. Yeah. And I, I've I think always that remembered that thinking that that is that it worked really well. I think that's one of those ways too, because sometimes, especially with our partners, we're, we're so comfortable with them that we don't always do the best job articulating ourselves. And so I feel like that's one of those things where if I heard him say that to me, this is a 10 for me, I'd almost stop a little bit like, oh, all yeah. right, this, this, is, this is important. And I think, that's a, I think that's a great, I'm gonna take that away from this pinky because I think that's a good way. There's so many heated moments when you've got a crazy toddler running around. And so when you're trying to have an adult conversation over a ball flying or whatever else is going There's on. There's no finished to, sentences. Up exactly. <laughs> but if you get that, then I can, you kind of tuck that away. Like, all right, that was important. And I'm going to have to go back to that when we can actually focus versus more or less just, this is just me talking conversationally and whatnot. So I like that a lot. Yeah, and you don't have to start yelling and shouting because because when it's really important to you, you you go louder, don't you? Yes, yes. Listen to me, <laughs> which makes you sound more hysterical and less creditable in the moment. That's right. Yeah, let's be more crazy, less yeah, whatever. And I've got a husband who doesn't go loud. You know, like you'll just be <laughs> saying all my own sort of thing, and I, how the bloody hell do I know what's important? <laughs> And it's I've taken so true. notice and then he's huffy and I go, well, oh, well, just tell me that it's important. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now, before we sign off, we're having a great chat here. Before we sign off, thank you. You, you know, you've got a fabulous promotion for the launch of Rebel Mama, haven't you? Can you share that and tell us what's happening? When's the launch? How can people get your book? And just this publicity stunt you've got happening that we you've can do all it. over the world. <laughs> yes. So I can't decide what's more, what was more fun for me, writing the book or launching the book. Uh, and marketing is not my thing, but somehow we just, this just morphed into a, a really good time. So the short answer to your question is the book is available for pre-order the essentially the month of August. And for those who pre-order the book, uh, they will receive a tattoo, which is the same Rebel Mama tattoo as the cover of the book. It's a temporary tattoo. I might've become a badass, but I didn't get permanent ink. So the <laughs> tattoo will be available um, to anybody who, who, mail, who emails a receipt of their pre-order and will send that off. And then for some extra credit, if they want it, they can post a picture of them with their tattoo, uh, tag the book, and I'll share some of those uh, handlers in a second. 
and they'll be entered in. So we've got some great free giveaways too, as well as we get closer to the actual book being available. So launch is going on this month in August. And then September 3rd, which is the start of Labor Day weekend in the States. I am a sucker for a play on words. So I decided well, Labor Day weekend would be the actual launch of the book. The book will be generally available for, for purchase. But once it's available for purchase, the, the tattoo promotion goes away. So we're trying to get as many pre-orders as we can. So we get as many Rebel Mama tattoos flying around social media that we can to really be able to help and inspire all of the mamas out there. So I will share with you my handler for the book. It's at Rebel Mama Book. And then the link in the bio will have uh, the link for the pre-order as well as um, the email address to be able to send for the tattoo. And if by some miracle you're listening to this and you've dodged the social media craze, I will give Pinky all those direct links as well if you don't have Instagram and, and can't get to them from there. But definitely encourage everyone to get out to the link to do the pre-order so you can get your Rebel Mama tattoo and rock that on uh, Instagram, Facebook, whatever your social media choice is. That is awesome. And we're going to um, put all that info in the show notes on my website Perfect. So at pinkymckay.com you'll be able to see all of those now just finally what is your best tip for our listeners on how to be the mother you want to be I think it's hard to pick one you can decide to edit me later if you want to limit me to one but I think I've got three go three um, go three <laughs> <laughs> so the first is uh be full of care but free of worry it's one of my favorite lines from the book. And I mean that by we get so caught up in motherhood in fretting about all the ways things could go wrong or we could be screwing it up that we blink and baby is now five. And then we blink again and baby is 18. So I, I say be full of care because it's important to be safe and responsible, but don't spend all of your time worrying or you're gonna miss out on the fun. You're absolutely gonna screw things up. So just get that out of your head but really try to be able to be in the moment. The second, which Pinky and I have said a bunch of times already, is follow your gut. You know more than you think you do. It's, it's true. Follow your gut. And then the third is if all else fails and you can't do one and two, just reach out. I'm, I'm here to talk. I, I wrote the book not just to inspire moms to rebel, but it was to make them feel like they're not alone. So I don't have all the answers. I actually don't even really have any answers necessarily, but I have two ears and I can listen. And I don't want moms to feel like they're floundering because there are ways to get the support you need. So those would be my tips for listeners on how to be the best mom that they can be. That's fabulous. I love those three tips and they all, you know, just perfect, really lovely capture. So that's fabulous. And that's now it's Pinky and Laura signing off. Tits up, ladies. Pull up your big girl pants. We can do this. We are mothers. This episode of Tits Up is proudly sponsored by Lactromo, your new BFF for breastfeeding. In the spirit of reconciliation, I acknowledge Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples as the traditional owners and custodians of this country and their connection to land, water and community. We pay our respect to them, their cultures and customs and to elders past, present and emerging. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Tits Up. This podcast was produced by Dave Stokes. For more information, connections with our guests and special offers from our show sponsors, please pop over to my website and check out the show notes, www.pinkymccabe.com. I would love it if you could please share the love by leaving a review. Five-star reviews will help other mums to find the support and information too.